Okay, welcome to the August edition of Behind the DM Screen. It is three DMs uh, talking about each other's, talking about their games and helping each other out and doing the stuff that we do. And that's your introduction. Uh, everybody, say hello. Hello. And Randy, who's muted, also said hello. Hello. Okay. Hello. <laughs> there we go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's got some extra background noise uh, over there, so he's staying muted unless he needs to talk. So if anybody hears some extra noise when he's around, that's why. It's fine. It'll only be for a few minutes. Uh, I get to go first. So start the timer, Mike. Done. Started. Good. Uh, so I got to play twice, I think, since we last chatted. Um, yeah, I forget. Is it 15 minutes or 20? 15, I think? Yeah, yeah, 15. That gives us a little bit of wiggle room. Uh, so, yeah. So, I got to play, I think, twice since we last uh, chatted. Uh, the first of those two sessions was okay. Um, it was a lot more tactical stuff. I, I actually drew out a map for my D&D next game, which my players, I think, were kind of wishing I did more of, because I've done a lot of theater of the mind since we switched to next. It's just so much faster not to draw those maps, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we did a little bit of that, and they got some tactical stuff in there, and they got a bunch of fights in, and, and uh, basically aggroed like four or five encounters into one big fight, because that's sort of how you're encouraged to do things in the in the Return to the Temple of Elemental Evil, is everything's supposed to be dynamic, right? <laughs> you go to, a le- go to a level, and everybody everybody hordes in. Well, right, so, so right, wh- right. what happened was they it's a, a more or less civilized area, but it's not actually one of the temples. Uh, it's basically just a guard station guarding... Um, the bridge and Randall, I don't know if you're actually muted or not because we're continuing to hear the clicks. Oh, is that right? Yeah, well, then <laughs> staples, <my> man. <laughs> staples. Then, then my mute does not work. Do I need to stop? Okay. Well, either way, let um, me mute it from Skype. I'll mute it from Skype. No, okay. So, so yeah, so they they got into this area. It's guarding this bridge area. They're not. It's not an area actually affiliated, but it's not the wilds that they were in before. Um, and so. Um, they they wander into an area and they're they're dressed as cultists trying to fool everybody um, that they meet, and they open up a door and there's a couple of wizards in there in their lab doing wizardy things, and they're like, oh sorry, uh, wrong room, we meant to go uh, by, you know, and close the door, and the wizards like, they the, the party thought that the wizards totally bought it, but they didn't because the and it specifically says in the description of the wizards they know everybody who works there. And they would they will recognize them by face and mm. immediately re- uh, you know notice in- intruders, whether they're dressed in disguise or whatever, right? So they wandered off and did their own exploration, and I had the wizards go out through another door and go warn the head honcho, and they all sort of gathered in the great hall, and then in the middle of the fight in the great hall, when they had three encounters mixed into one, the leader runs over to the do- doors and shouts out to the guards and has you know sixteen mooks charge in as well. Um, so it turns into that a, mooks, is that mooks TM? <laughs> no, that's <laughs> mooks. That's mooks because it's D and D next, and they're not technically minions, but they kind of play that way. Okay, I just thought I'd ask. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and so yeah, so um, they wipe the floor with them, and they basically clear out the whole thing in one massive encounter, which was cool, and they enjoyed doing that, and it was a lot of fun. Um, so then we came back the next session. They sort of finished off that area, um, but more to the point, they got got to have an opportunity to do a little bit more. Um, Story advancement, I guess, is a good way to explain it. Uh, and there's a few things. Uh, there's one other thing I need to mention from that first session. Um, the the big bad guy, who is like a, a half ogre, half demon, uh, is the leader of that bridge guard area, um, had caught one of his minions, his lieutenants, if you will, uh, trying to steal from him. It was a halfling barbarian rogue, and so he had her strung up on you know human-sized manacles, so her feet were dangling the whole time mm. um, in, in the Great Hall. So she was strung up there, and they were he- heaving basically shot puts at her for entertainment. <clears throat> and so the party managed to free her. She was up front and told him the whole story. Look, I got no loyalty to these guys. I work for whoever pays the most. You killed all them and agreed basically to join the party for an equal share. Mm. Which actually worked out really well because in the next section, um, next next session, they they ran into some crazy loot. So she was pleased with that. She walked. She sat with them for maybe two or three days and, and walked away. If she walks away at this point, she's walking away with like three, four thousand gold pieces. Mm. It was awesome for her. So next section, next session, which was we just played the other uh, last weekend, um, advanced the story a lot more. They finished clearing out that area. They move into another sort of wildish area, um, 
and the wild area has basically been occupied by a bunch of orcs who have escaped a temple and are just sort of hiding out there. And they and I used my my new my weekly newsletter that I send out or that I that I create and, and hand out when they get here. Mm-hmm. I used that to, to sow some seeds. That basically um, the the temple was out trying to recruit local orcs. Um, but the orcs refused to join, having heard rumors that um, some of their kin had joined and were being possessed by demons and things. Hmm. Because I wanted to interject this this extra little side story thing that I came up with. Um, for the book club, we're reading the book Never Unprepared. Mm-hmm. And so I'm trying in, in earnest to go through the different steps that, that he describes to see how it works and what I like and what I don't like about it. <clears throat> and I and in the, that process, I came up with this whole um, demon possession um, storyline. Although it's not actually a demon, it's a devil, um, and not really possession, but you know, basically a devil who's who will be working secretly working with a PC. Um, also partially inspired by the fact that I'm listening to um, uh, the audiobook of uh, Paul Kemp's Erebus Kale ser- series, the the last three in the trilogy getting ready for the sundering and that one deals a lot with um mephistopheles specifically is this devil a big bad or just a guy it, it's it's mephistopheles oh mm. he's it yeah. okay well, then you totally have to do the uh did you ever dance with the devil in the pale moonlight uh, sure <laughs> you got to totally do that because well, that's he, like he doesn't exactly do at this point um the one pc who i really wanted to have this connection with the the devil uh with mephistopheles um was a, a character or a player who tends to dis, disengage, but if there's a, a, a story to really dig in, dig in with him, he'll he'll really you know suddenly become engaged. Right, so the, I kind of tailored this to I want him to be the one, so that I can have a, a means to engage him more in the story. And and so far I think he's loving it. Right, That's I'm just cool. I'm just sort of passing notes to him. He's on the far side of the table, so everybody knows when I'm passing notes to him because you know three people have to hand it down. So it's great, but then he looks at it and then just says nothing. <laughs> so they all know something's going on. They all know to be suspicious, but nobody has any idea what's going on. Um, but yeah, so they, they kill the, the orc chief who was being manipulated by Mephistopheles. Um, I came up with this sort of backstory of Mephistopheles originally worked with the, the gods um, in order to try to capture Therizdun, which makes sense because everybody sort of teamed up to capture Therizdun, right? Um, and that he's... You know, still has no interest in seeing Therizdun be free or the chaos um, that he would wreak brought to the world. Uh, and so he's still working to, to capture Therizdun and do all that kind of stuff. Uh, so that worked really well. Then they went on to uh, find a, a dwarven temple of Moradin um, that had, had never been found or had been found, but the defenses were strong enough that you know, the people who found it didn't get very far. Uh, and, and that threw my... Um, my cler- dwarven cleric of Moradin way off base, right? Because I kept telling him, you feel really comfortable here. Like, everything is secure. Everything feels just right. And, and that made him even more paranoid. <laughs> Wait, no, it can't be right. Hmm. Nice. How could, how could this possibly be here for hundreds of years and nobody's noticed it? Yeah, so, um, so it took him pretty much the entire exploration of the place to figure out that, oh, this is actually okay, right? And, and then that managed, that allowed me to um, help bring some connection to some other storylines I wanted to bring in, like um, trying to restore the the dwarven throne, uh, the or the king of the dwarves to to the throne of this place. Right? Hmm. Uh, and through the, again through the newsletter, I I threw in some hints that you know the people back in town would really like to talk to you. Um, and so they actually, after they cleared out that temple and secured it, they went back to town and found them, and then a bunch of dwarves came back with them and are now securing that temple. So that's sort of what's happened. Um, my the 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 question I have for now because I'm I'm down to what about five minutes six minutes. I don't know. Hang on, let me check. That's fine. Um, keep, keep going. The question I'm down to now is I have this NPC. You got you got plenty of time. Okay. Who is who has been working for the temple? She's not a good person. Um, the halfling barbarian rogue, right? <laughs> who was the lieutenant of the the half demon ogre. Uh, who then caught her stealing and was, and was torturing her, right? I've got her there, and she's done a few things here and there, but I'm having a hard time giving her a distinct voice and at the same time trying to figure out what, what it is I'm actually going to do with her, hmm. right? So I'm curious if you have any thoughts about what I could t- possibly do with, with um, my halfling rogue barbarian. 
I sort of wanted her to be a, a counterpoint to the party and yet somehow be with the party. You know, she's real gruff and stuff, right? Well, when you one, say a counterpoint, what do you mean? Well, you know, they tend to be real cautious. They tend to be um, – and, and they're interestingly, um, you know, um, more tactical, but they're also being more diplomatic and they're actually, you know, working through some things without always just attacking everybody. Then it's time to trash a business. Time to trash a business? She's a barbarian, right? Right. Magic spooks her? Mm, That's a question. I, I, probably not. Oh, okay. Because a lot of barbarians are scared of magic. Yeah, probably but not. If, but if not, um, then maybe she just gets pissed off and goes uh, like total berserker on something. Yeah. Yeah, and she can. Um, in fact, do, you have a, do you have a story for her? Well, there, there is some background given for her already. Um, that they know. N- n- well, no, that, that's in the book, right? But it's, it's not very detailed. And so, no, I don't have much of a story for her um, other than she was the lieutenant of this place. She stole from her boss and, and got, so herself, what is, got herself What does she want? Money. So I mean, she's just – why is she – is she hanging around there just to get money and then bolt? Well, right. And, and if she is – then she would probably be bolting soon because when they walked into that dwarven temple, they found the treasury and tons of loot. And so she's got the money now. She's got thousands of gold pieces from the party. But but she she got thousands of gold pieces in the first couple of days. Why wouldn't she stick with them in, in hopes of getting more? You know? Well, is that what she's really after, though? Well, that's that's what she's really after given the way she's described. But I am willing to make changes. If well, that's what I'm saying. So what do you – right. What do you, what do you think of her? What do, what do you think she thinks and wants? Well – if you were her, what would you want? There is the, there's the inevitable, um, or maybe overly obvious storyline of, of eventual betrayal because, you know, betraying the the party for the temple would would get her more influence and more more wealth through them, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but that almost seems too obvious, right? I almost want them to expect a betrayal and then have her not, right? But I'm not sure. I mean, she's also, she's also a bastard, so to speak, right? I mean, she's a real jerk. You know, is it is it possible that she's either isn't sure who to betray to whom yet? It's absolutely possible she doesn't know who to betray. I mean, there there are effectively five different much fa- a, factions in the temple. Right. So, how much of an opportunist is she? An absolute opportunist. And is she smart about it? Uh, I mean, relatively, I'd imagine. She, I mean, but she also got caught, right? So she can't be that smart. <laughs> That's a good point. So, I mean. I guess instead of kind of deciding how she's going to interact with the party, it can one one approach is to just consider her on her own. And instead of saying like this is what I want her to be to the party, or this is how I want a party to treat her, instead it's what is what does she want to do with the party, or what does she not want to do with the party? And if you know if the answer to that is that she's going to betray them, then what would she do for that betrayal? And is, does she know that it's obvious to the party that she'd be betraying him, in which case she, she has to act that way? Hmm. Or is she really trying to maybe, the you know, I mean, it's always a safe bet that the party's stronger than the bad guys, right? Right. <laughs> they generally are. And, you know, so maybe she's figuring out, like, how do I, you know, how can I mean, maybe maybe she is. Maybe it's just like, you know, money's never enough. Whatever money she has is never enough. And she's always thinking she can get more. Mm-hmm. But then it, it becomes a little too easy that she's just then following the party around from place to place, and that's not very interesting. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it, it now it's potentially she could be going back and forth. Maybe she's kind of double agenting this thing where, mm-hmm. you know, she could be feeding information back and avoiding the party, and the party could hate her for a while, and then she does something really nice for the party, and then they like her again, and then it goes back and forth. Well, it occurs to me now because uh, part of my my inspiration for for – giving the opportunity for her to become an NPC companion was reading Hamlet's hit points. And, and he talked a bit in there about um, how movies and stories create foils um, to sort of be a counterpoint to different characters. Mm-hmm. And that was part of my inspiration in, in terms of, of having her join up. Um, it, it occurs to me that, that the leader of the party, this dwarven cleric of Morden, used to be a spy who infiltrated uh, a cult, uh, you know, an elder elemental eye cult, which is the, the big bad guys are going after her, right? Right. Um, who infiltrated them at some point. It, it occurs to me that, that a interesting foil might be that she's actually spying for the doom dreamers, which are the, the, the inner circle of, right. of the cult. Maybe they've figured out, you know, at this point, 
um, they're not supposed to consider the PCs a threat, and they're not really supposed to pay any attention to them. Mm-hmm. To the PCs. I mean, sure, they've wiped out huge sections of, of the caves, but they haven't taken on any temples yet. And the temples are kind of supposed to compete with each other and eventually get wiped out off and on anyway, right? Right. <clears throat> so they're usually not very concerned about that stuff until they actually come to the inner circle. But maybe they're being a little bit smarter about that. You know, maybe they're maybe they saw the, this party coming and they snuck snuck her over there specifically to become rescued and become uh, you know a double agent working for them. Well, what if she was actually one agent that was sent to that part of the temple to spy on them and got caught? To, to spy on who? Spy on the, the people that caught her. Oh, the the, the guards, yeah. Okay. Right. I mean, maybe, right, so she didn't, you know, because it, it, it seems like a long shot that she'd get herself captured by one group in order to get saved by another because she's actually spying on the other. You know, because the odds are she could have been killed at any time by the first group. Oh, but we're out of time. <laughs> um, but, you know, if she... So, you know, you, you you don't have to discount coincidence. Yeah, it could be. Um, I mean, the, the only trouble is that that specific area technically is not affiliated with any of the temples. Right. Um, the leader was kind of quasi-affiliated, if, is kind of quasi-affiliated with the Fire Temple. Yeah, but they, you know, they, allied groups can spy on each other all the time. No, absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, the trick is that it's supposed to be a neutral group. Right. Which, which kind of wasn't, but kind of was. So, I mean, I can see where, you know, one of the temples might send her off to spy. In yeah. which case, this whole storyline could come to a head much sooner, because probably the most... Can, the most likely to send a spy in my head would probably be the Air Temple, uh, which is basically the next area that they're going to be going into. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. So the whole she's got to pick her loyalties thing would have to happen pretty quick, and I'd have to start laying some of those seeds right away. Right. So I'll have to think about that. And and if I and tell you what, you know, if I can make this lay the seeds early enough to make it have an impact in the next section, mm-hmm. I'll probably do that. And otherwise, I'll uh, I'll go the other way, right? Practice right. practice my improv skills. Sure. Yeah, I mean, and I would say one way to use those improv skills is always keeping your head in the mind of the character. Right, and well, that's, it, I think that's where how I would is she going to react to any particular situation? Rather yeah. than usually, if I have a character that I know is going to be recurring, I try to come up with even a specific voice for them or a way I talk when I'm when I'm portraying sure. them. Right. And and even my players pointed out, Jeff, you got to come up with some sort of voice for this this woman because we can't tell if it's you talking or her. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I do need to come up with something. So and, and get do a better job, I think, of getting into her voice and into her head. Yep. So anyway, that's clearly my time. Uh, before we go on to Randall and Mike, we should mention our sponsor for the episode, NobleNightGames.com. NobleNight.com. Uh, they sell new games as well as old out-of-print games. And Randall has a, a, a gem from 2010 available at Noble Knight that he's going to tell us about right now. Gamma World 4E. Mm. I love Gamma World. Which is not actually the fourth edition of Gamma World. It's not. It's something <laughs> like the sixth, I think. Is it? Is it that far? Is it that yeah, many? Yeah, it is. Wow. Um, I want to say that's correct. So, I will trust um, you. It was compatible with the 4E rules. It's set up the same way. Yeah. Power structure. The cool thing about Gamma World 4E was that uh, you could totally go random with the species that you are, and there's another part to it. I can't remember. But because I haven't played, I actually have never played 4E Gamma World. So. Oh, yeah. I'm just familiar with it from um, all the talk that was about it. Yeah. But uh, I played it once. I, well, I, I DM'd it once, and I and I played it once with with Mike yeah. as my DM. So I know Mike's done it. Yeah, there's yep. only like I think I really go up to ten levels, and yep. Nice. Um, doesn't I think they might have an expansion that goes higher? Yeah, I, I oh, always well maybe a, that's true. maybe that's true. Yeah. I still I still have a hard time sometimes convincing my players that you know what we can do a short campaign of goofy, silly, fun stuff, and that's all right. Yeah, but I, I, I ran a short Gamma World campaign. I had a lot of fun with it. Yeah, I, I, yeah. Honestly, uh, I've I loved Fourth Edition. I, I still love Fourth Edition D and D. But the rules for Fourth Edition D and D fit the Gamma World game even better than they fit D and D. Yeah. Oh you know? yeah. It, I mean, I it, it, it is that. awesome. Yep, I'd agree with that. The only thing I think it's, I stayed away from it a lot was because in the original Gamma World games, I was always the guy that played the pure strain human. Well, don't do that. I was yeah, always that guy. Or can be and, yeah, and and the new and in the four E version, that's really not. I mean, you can, I think, but it doesn't make for the most exciting or fun character. So, Absolutely not. yeah, 
All right. Well, people should check it out. It is available at noblenight.com for $8 off, a little more than $8 off the normal price. And we will have a link in the show notes at thetomeshow.com. And make sure to tell them that the Tome Show sent you. Noble Knight is a long-standing game store specializing in finding out-of-print games while also offering the newest great releases. Including D&D? They got it from any edition. That's right, all of them. What if I want a board game? Card game, minis, or dice? Noble Knight has it all and at a discounted price. In fact, Noble Knight has over 30,000 unique items on stock. And you know you can trust this Better Business Bureau accredited store with a satisfaction guarantee. Yeah, but I've bought too many things over the years. How can I justify spending even more? Good thing we're talking about Noble Knight then. They'll buy your old gaming things and offer you cash or trade. So you'll be able to keep up with all the great gaming stuff you want. Check them out at noblenight.com. Wow, I'll go today. And be sure to tell them the Tome Show sent you. Mike, start the timer. It's Randy's turn. All right. Timer started. Go. All right. Um, yeah, I actually got to play again last month. Um, my uh, group, if you will recall from last time, is exploring the moat house. And my wife's standing in here, so I'm not going to be real straightforward. Um, but I can <laughs> tell you that there was kind of a theme for uh, the last adventure because um, uh, if last time they wiped out a bunch of... Uh, uh, bandits that were holed up there, but they went and explored the rest of the top of the moat house. And the theme was kind of uh, uh, very much similar to um, Burt Bacharach's Raindrops Keep Falling on My Head, except it was Other Stuff Keeps Falling on Their Heads. <laughs> um, and, the, and the reason that is is because apparently my players don't know how to look up. I'm not sure what the deal is. <laughs> um, I let's see. The Ranger who is played by my, my son, um, and he does a fantastic job. But uh, once again, not looking up, a giant tick fell on, him, fell on his head, sucked his blood out, knocked him unconscious. Hmm. Um, let's see what happened next. Oh, then they were, ex- then they were exploring a, a room that was very unstable. Uh, there was a chest at one end of the room. And while it wasn't explicitly written this way in the module, I thought, well... Every time they do something and fail a check, I'm going to have the room shift a little bit. Debris would fall. And once again, I mean, everyone's taking a little bit of damage. Is the one? I mean, only about half the party's in the room because they realize it's unstable. And it's like, yeah, we're not all going in there. Um, but they had to get whatever was in the chest because, you know, players. So, <laughs> um, loot. That's loot, right? Fat loots. So... They're in there, and um, and that's when the giant lizard that happens to be in the room attacks. And whenever they miss the lizard, the room shifts. So a little thing happens. So I've got a little of uh, environmental stuff going on, but things keep falling on their head. And once again, ra- uh, it's the ranger that gets... Um, uh, well, actually, two or three party members got hit by stuff like that. Didn't knock any of those guys unconscious, though. Um and then finally, uh, as they start to head to the dungeon, they get to the foot of the dungeon, and there's green slime. And boom, sure enough, green slime drops right on their heads. Oh, no. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the ranger again. Um, and, and one dropped on another person, but they, it missed them. So they didn't, they didn't get hit. But the, uh, but the ranger got hit again. And, of course, it wasn't the green slime that immediately did the damage that knocked him unconscious. It was the swords. Oh, no, it was the torch um, swipe to scrape off the green slime, which did enough hit points of damage to render the ranger unconscious again. <laughs> so, um, and that was really the theme. Um, it was like explore a room, uh, defeat the creature inside, which they didn't really have a whole lot of trouble with, um, and then have stuff fall on their heads. So, <laughs> it was actually fun. I enjoyed it. Um, and I think the I think the players did too. Like I said, it was really um, we didn't do anything um, uh, really intense or nothing. It was you know map and explore and, and and kill the monsters and take their stuff type of time. So, and a lot of the uh, a lot of um, the village of Hama um, adventure is like that. So especially once you get to the moat house. Um, so that's I think everyone understands that and 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 it's a lot of fun. So 
I'm hoping to get one more game in before Gen Con. Um, I'm switching in. Um, I'm hoping to switch dates with uh, the other DM, who's kind of uh, on hot. He stopped his 4E game, and he's going to switch to Pathfinder, but he's got to get Pathfinder materials together. So mm. while he's while he's doing that, um, I'm going to try to take over his day for this month, and that because my normal game day would be during Gen Con. So mm. yeah. But um, really, not a whole lot to a uh, whole lot to tell. Everyone's um, playing real well together and um, is having a good time. So, and that's what D and D is about. So, yep. <laughs> I don't have much uh, much more to say about that. Cool. Yeah. So not a lot to tell this week, but except so stuff. what's coming Look up? What's, what's coming next? Uh, what's coming next is they will be exploring the dungeons of the Moat House, and here it will get a lot tougher. Because many of the uh, creatures that Lareth has, um, who's the big bad, um, has gathered to him, uh, the areas are linked together. So unless they are very quick and efficient at killing the monsters in one room, you're likely to get foes in another. Now there's one opportunity, if, in the way I work, interpret the module, um, and that's that the gnolls aren't super happy with their place at at the uh, uh, at the moat house, and so they might be able to approached in the correct way. The gnolls could be persuaded to help the characters um, because there are a lot of guards. They're only first level, um, and it could it could get bad. So we'll see what happens. And and I imagine it'll take a couple more game sessions to get through the uh, dungeon. So. Did I tell you what happened when my players tried to get the gnolls on their side in the Mo- Dungeons of the Moat House? I want to say you, I do, but I, it's been a while, so. Um, they tried to get them on their side, and they thought it worked. And Oh, then they betrayed they, them. Yeah, the gnolls just, the, the one gnoll they got, who's the leader, just sort of said, yeah, 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 we'll come over here and all, and, and it'll be fine. And here, let me let me go in this room and disable the trap. And aha, I triggered the trap and it fell on top of you. And now my whole pack ran out and attacked you. And it was awesome. <laughs> like he was never on their side. It was never right. going to happen. And that may very well happen. I don't know. They may just go in and, and oh, bad guys, kill them. And, you know, just, they have a tendency to do and that. And I'm glad that didn't so. backfire on me because I do like the fact that my players have, have looked for the non-combat Resolutions a lot more than they usually do um, yeah. in this game, um, and I think next makes that, I guess, encourages that more than than some previous editions. I think mm-hmm. so. Um, you know, so yeah, I mean, they've been doing that a lot. So I'm glad that, like, you know, this one of these first attempts to do that didn't, you know, backfired on them and, and didn't dissuade them from from ever trying it again. Hmm. So yeah, I am. Um... We'll see. There's a lot of... There are 18 guards, th- uh, three sergeants, a lieutenant, Lareth himself, hmm. um, not to mention the bugbears. Uh, I mean, the crayfish is not a big deal. It's a one-off, and it's in an isolated room. Yeah. Um, the ghouls could be a problem. Um, like I said, they're still pretty low level, and as... Um, was it Mike? You were talking with Scott about ghouls the other day on Twitter. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. We so ghouls can be ghouls. Big long talk about ghouls. Yeah, exactly. Ghouls can be pretty brutal at uh, whatever level, <laughs> and um, uh, so we'll see what happens with that. They might have a creative solution. the The trick there is the fact that they don't have a cleric. Mm, so yeah, they have a, they have a druid, but they don't have a cleric. Okay, so, so they still have a healer. They still have a healer, but there's no undead protection really. Yeah. yeah. So, so we'll see what happens. It'll be interesting. I think it'll be challenging for them. Looking hmm. forward to it. So, right on. I That's about all I have. Got to try yeah. this adventure. Short one for you, which will be nice. And maybe, maybe I'll get the chance to talk about some other stuff I forgot about. No, I'm going to use up his time. Okay. Yeah. Well, in that case, Mike, take or, it away. Or unless you have a question. Oh, I do have to insert one other thing. Wesley K. Hall would like to say hi. So hi. Where is he saying that? Who? No, on Twitter. On Twitter. Oh, okay. He just wants to say hi, so I'm passing that along. Hello. Well, hello, Wesley K. Hall. In, okay. in, a, in a few weeks, you'll you'll get a reply. <laughs> yeah, that's right. When I, have it, I still haven't put out last month. <laughs> All right. Sorry. So nice. like six weeks. In fairness, I was in India for half the month. It's like the yeah, worst. True. It's like the worst transfer rate of data ever. <laughs> yeah. 
That's okay. So yes. All right, Mike, you're up. So restart the timer. I don't want to restart the timer. I want to use up his time. No. Ah, it's just it's crap. It's okay. He had six minutes left. It's a lot of time. All right, so I have played five different role-playing games in the last month. Holy buckets. Dun, dun, dun. I have played 4th Edition, Pathfinder, Fate Core, 13th Age, maybe four. Sorry, four different okay. systems. Um, so I, I, you know, I could talk about any of those and they're all, they're all pretty interesting. So, but, but one of the things that I'm finding just particularly fascinating about this time is we are really just deep in the Renaissance of RPGs. I don't know. I suppose when the OGL came out, there was a, a quite a, quite a, you know, push for new RPGs all over the place, but it seems like right now, particularly like this, just last few weeks has just been amazing for new and independent and, and really high quality RPGs. Like I just got done, you know, with my thorough skim read of 13th age. And now today I got Numenera by Monty Cook. Oh, hush. I haven't dropped. Mine hasn't dropped yet. Yeah. I just, I got it today. Yeah. I got the PDF. Yeah, I know. My PDF link hasn't dropped yet. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, it's just, it's amazing. So I don't know. I'm 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 kind of blown away by all in, all these pretty you know very high quality RPGs. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll try to summarize in short. So I, I finished my Pathfinder mini campaign last night. Uh, this was the campaign where they're going after. This is a set in the city of Magnamar, and there was all kinds of plots and things going on. Oh yeah. yeah. And uh, uh, the last thing that happened is the adventurers were going through like a big haunted house known as Foxgrove Manor which was actually in the adventure is called Foxglove Manor. And I screwed it up and started calling it Foxgrove Manor. And then I figured, why change? <laughs> you know, why go That's back? Awesome. Right. Yeah. Foxglove so, is a plant. Foxgrove yeah, right. would be a place where foxes live. Yeah. That's exactly right. Yeah. So yeah. I just, I misread it and I just kept it that way. Cool. Um, so they, they went through a big haunted house. They went to the basement. Uh, and, it, and here was an interesting Pathfinder thing. I rolled a random encounter and it was a, a white, a wraith. I'm sorry. And I said, oh, it's a Wraith. And I looked, and it's a CR5. I think CR5 or CR6. And the party was fifth level. Um, and they fought it, and it got a surprise attack on him. I was like, oh, this will be cool. It gets a surprise attack, right? Because it's a Wraith, so it just shows up and hits somebody. And I level rolled a drain. die. I rolled a die to pick one of the party, and it picked, it picked uh, one of the characters. It attacked and hit, and I rolled, and it rolled a five on the damage. But the Wraith doesn't do damage. The Wraith drains 1d6 levels. Yep. And if you're only level 5 and you roll a 5, that guy's dead. Mm-hmm. No saving throw, no anything. If they hit and you roll a 5 or a 6... In fact, they come dead. back as a Wraith, right? Uh, they do eventually, yeah. Like, they will come back. And he was actually kind of excited about coming back as a Wraith. I ended up doing some story stuff. So then we roll initiative, because <laughs> initiative hadn't been rolled yet, and one guy's already dead. Oh, jeez. And they rolled initiative, and the Wraith got a 22, and the next highest was 13. Oh, wow. And the Wraith targets someone else, hits them, rolls a 5, kills that one, too. And the rest of the group says, we're out. We're yep. And they, they ran. And it made for an interesting story. I'll, I'll give it this. It made for an interesting story because the three of them left. They knew that their friends are down there now as Wraith spawns, and, and they had to get two new members of the party, and the people that died were both of the people that both of the players of the characters that were killed were big fans of not only big fans of, of Pathfinder, but also people that said, we do not want to house rule anything. We want to play it as is. And both of them were like, "Hey, you know, that's what happens. So they were both pretty cool about it. But there was that moment, like when the first one killed the guy where the whole table went silent. And it's like, that silence that almost says like, is, is he going to cry? <laughs> you know? And he didn't cry, but it was still like this stunning silence. Like even I'm stunned, right? Like I didn't even know what was going to happen. And uh, anyway, I turned the Wraith into like a sub boss. It turned out that the Wraith was the grandfather, the the failed lich grandfather of the uh, of, of the. He was the father of the main villain, whose name is Father Skinsaw. So we started referring to the Wraith as the grandfather. Uh-huh. And the grandfather is a failed lich who tried to become a lich, and instead, kind of his essence got blasted throughout these lower caves underneath the mansion, and it turned the mansion into a haunted mansion, and that's why it's all evil. 
Okay. So I ended up kind of throwing it back in that the Wraith was this now this named guy, and it was like a major villain too. So now there's two major villains down there, and that then the next time they went down there and they and they were prepared, right? They had ghost touch weapons and they had you know all these like big plans on how they're gonna you know one guy played a necromancer and another guy played a paladin. So they were like <laughs> they, the characters they picked were ready to fight a Wraith. Tag and they went team. down there, and yeah, and it was a big fight. They had to fight like they had to fight the two wraith spawns of themselves. They had to fight the main wraith, and they had to fight Father Skinsaw himself, who's like a ghoul, a switchblade wielding ghoul, and um, and then a bunch of other minor dudes. And it was a big fight, but they were ready for it, and they were prepared, and they cast preparatory spells, and and they beat the the dog snot out of them, and it worked. And they felt really good about it, and I felt really, I was like, that's yeah. fine, you know, you you. you you know, you got you got beaten up last week, so this week I don't mind if you storm up. <laughs> so that worked okay. And then this week they went after the last of the three major villains of the campaign, who is a wizard named Ash. And Ash uh, is the second. He's like the, you know, he's the minion boss of the main guy, whose name is the Forever Man. And my shtick with the Forever Man is no one's ever going to see him. Like he's he doesn't fight PCs. Right. Right. He's the mastermind and he's already on the other side of the world working on some other plot now. And but he left Ash in place. Well, Ash has a twisted personality. He actually wants the PCs to kill him, which is the only he's, reason he hasn't, you know, fulfilled not, his, his plot. Sorry, go ahead. He's not a pokey master, is he? No, he's not a pokey master. Is there a pokey master named Ash? I yeah, I think there is, isn't there? Yeah. Should be a common name. It's a nice memorable <laughs> name. Um anyway, so he had these big kind of vials, these big uh, jars filled with this terrible uh, substance that had been created from like the destroyed corpses of 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 young prostitutes and mixed with this like bad herb. So it's like really really evil heroin sort of stuff. And they're gonna dump. He was gonna. He was told to dump it all into the water supply of Magnamar. So it would basically turn the entire population of Magnamar into ghouls. And. He didn't do it. He he set them up all around the this pit that led into the reservoir, and he sat there eating sandwiches and waiting for the PCs to show up, and writing his biography, and uh, which I guess is an autobiography, right? Um. So he. Uh, thank you. <laughs> You're next. So uh, he, uh, I was like, am I, is my voice breaking up? I don't want that. No, 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 you're fine. Um, so he sat there eating sandwiches, writing his autobiography and waiting for the PCs. And his shtick was, I actually don't want to do what I was told to do. I want the PCs to stop me, but I, I can't just not do it because the, the, you know, the forever man will know he's watching, he's got ways to know, and he'll know if I actually betray him, but he can't know if I'm just letting the PCs come here and if the, and if i kill i'm gonna fight the pcs and if i kill them then that was meant to be and then i don't mind it was basically like they're the ones that threw the stuff in the water the reservoir and that was kind of his weird little psychological twist and it was also the reason why he's been sitting there waiting for the pcs for three days so the pcs show up he finishes his sandwich and he stands up and uh gives a little bit of a monologue and then hits him with a fireball and an acid arrow and some other stuff and I think he got two spells off. He fired an acid arrow. He fired a fireball. And he had a minor globe of invulnerability and stone skin as preparatory spells. So they couldn't cast spells on him. They couldn't really do decent damage to him. Uh, but one of the characters cast Dispel Magic on him. And that got rid of the minor globe. And then the other one cast Stinking Cloud on him. And... I didn't really know much about Stinking Cloud. I should have known because I should have remembered it from 3.5. And it's basically, if you're inside the cloud, you're nauseated. And the nauseated condition says that all you can do is take move actions. Right? You can't do anything else. You don't get your standard array of actions. Instead, you can take a single move action. And so I said, well, he'll just take his move action to leave the cloud. But if you leave the cloud, you roll a saving throw. And if you fail the saving throw, you are nauseated for 1d4 plus 1 rounds. And he rolled a 3 or a 4. So he was nauseated for 5 rounds. No actions. Oh, wow. Which means that he's done, right? Yeah. Five rounds. Combat no over then. That doesn't go five rounds. It goes two. So then he's like, well, fine. If you're going to stinky cloud me and I'm nauseous, I'm going to just go start kicking those things into the drink because that's all I've got left, right? So he went over and started to try to kick the things into the drink, but all he had were move actions, so he didn't have a lot of actions. And they had to grapple him to the ground and then finally stabbed him. But it was, So it was, still had some drama to it. Um, and they defeated him, and then you know they saved Magnamar, and I, I had the story jump 
two weeks ahead and they're relaxing and looking at the treasure that they picked up from the guy and recognizing that Magnamar saved and then wondering, you know, well, what about that other plot? And then they found out that one of the PCs had taken one of the major artifacts that they've recovered and that that artifact actually, it contains the soul of one of the rune lords and it's now off somewhere. Okay, now before you go any further, yes. earlier you stopped, made a side comment, and never explained what was going on. So one of you let the listeners in on the joke because you know I will not edit. <laughs> What's the joke? The, the link that Randall said. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> Link to the Pokemon character. Right. Yeah, because he, he keeps he – is the name of his mage is Ash, and Ash Ketchum is like the Pokemon – the Pokemon uh, master or whatever. They call him, and that he's a, a big geek character. I mean, everyone oh, yes. who Ash is he's with the hat. Yeah, yeah, right. Got to catch them all, et cetera, et cetera. You know, he's no one else. Tenu- no one else in the history of the humanity has ever been named Ash before. See, not I was like, I was gonna go, but uh, not with that level of geekdom popularity. I that's see. Why. Okay. So that was the joke. I don't count this towards my time, by the way. No, that's fine. <laughs> Whatever. And I'm totally I, cool with that. I, I just yeah. I was I was gonna go with with the Ash from uh, uh, Evil Dead. See, that would be better. Yeah, that's that would have been a good character. Pretty popular he's as well. Crazy. Yeah, and that, that's that's got a big geek following. Sure, that does. Not probably as big as Ash Ketchum. Well, I don't know. It's got it's got the right geek following. It's, it's oh, the, sometimes. Oh, here we go. Sometimes oh, it's quality, not quantity. Here we go with the geek shape. <laughs> oh, this thread, this oh, thread no. has become tiresome. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Go so, on, Mike. Uh, no, I lost my train of thought. So I'm done with my Pathfinder. So they, they completed it. I've got I love to end mini campaigns with little threads so that, that you know, players want to go like, oh, wow, we still have that whole other thing we got to do. Well, that's right. You know, it's there. Uh, for example, they when they when they finished the mansion, they found that not only was there a big cavern under the mansion that where all these bad things had taken place, but there's rifts even below that that lead to further caverns. And I gave them this like weird image of four cultists surrounding a chained demon that they've been harvesting for power, you know, below their own mansion that they now own. And it was my whole like every every dungeon's a mega dungeon idea. Like yeah. if they want to just start exploring, they could just walk right down in their own basement and keep going deeper and deeper and deeper. <laughs> um, but uh, I think we are going to you know put the Pathfinder campaign on hold for or you know we're we're finished that major chapter and now we're going to do something else and we're not sure what we're going to do next. And you um, said you did some 4E in there too. I did. So my 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 friend uh, James, who um, is if he's listening, hi James. Hi James. Hi James. Um, hi so James. He uh, he runs in the game that I play in every other week, which is a fourth edition game. Okay. Uh, so with that, I have a thief uh, that I enjoy greatly. Does he uh, use Sly Flourish a lot? No, because he's a new he's a new school thief. He's he's a he's a thief thief. He's an essentials thief. Um, he does. I, I think like when blinded, he still hits on a three. So he's got a crazy <laughs> attack score. Um, so next week we're going to be playing Fate Core. I'm I'm doing. I wrote a scenario that I'm slowly refining and refining and refining. A cyberpunk scenario that I'm really explain excited. Explain Fate Core. Fate Core is a generic role-playing game system uh, that um, is much more storytelling-based than your traditional. It's not a D20 system. Um, it's much more of a story storytelling system where instead of kind of race class things, you pick central aspects to your character, and then you can invoke those aspects uh, during the game in order to get bonuses to roles to perform actions. So it's like if you were to take the skill system from D&D and build like an entire, you know, an entire RPG around the skill system, um, you'd have something similar to fate. But it's, it's got a really interesting dice mechanic where you roll 4d6, but instead of, you know, the typical one to six on the die, you have two minuses, two blanks and two pluses or a, a minus. Yeah, yeah. Two minuses, two blanks, two pluses and each of the dies dice. And then you, when you roll them, you the average is zero. So like your odds of hitting zero are pretty high. Um, and then you add that to your skill levels, which means that their their ladder for difficulty checks and the bonuses are actually at the same rate, if that makes any sense. Uh, so it's a very interesting. It, it just came out. They had, they did a big Kickstarter. Uh, you can actually download Fate Core and Fate the Fate Accelerated edition, Accelerated Edition, which is uh, a stripped down version of Fate Core for free. Uh, pay as you you know pay what you like. Um, directly from, if you Google Fate Core, you'll get right to their site, and the downloads are right there. And it's a really cool system. And as soon as I saw it, I said, I want to do a cyberpunk game in this world. 
you know, you can set up your own skills based on the world that you want and you can build, people can build aspects. And I ran it once a couple of weeks ago, or I guess a week ago, and uh, we had fun with it, but then I've refined it even further and I'm going to run it on Wednesday. And then I'm also planning to run it at Gen Con because I really want to get it good. Um, but it's a fun break. If you, you know, it, 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 I kind of like it more than Dungeon World because it seems even less restrictive than Dungeon World as far as those moves are concerned. Dungeon World is very heavy on... Oh, my time's up. Um, Dungeon World is very, very heavy on specific moves that you can do. And even though there's one move that kind of covers everything called Defy Danger. Right. But this one, you still have a, a, a skill system that feels like a more traditional skill system. You know, if you're good with you know, melee, or if you're good with ranged weapons, you know, you, you know what your bonus is to ranged weapons and you roll and add your bonus and match it up against the, the challenge. Yeah. Dungeon world reminds me a lot of, um, like powers in a, uh, uh, um, that's what I want to use, uh, MMO. Yeah. Because you have, yeah. Right. Cause you can like spam a power, <laughs> you know, attack, you know, spam the one button. Yeah. And then yeah. there, you've got some other side buttons you can do for other things, but yeah. Um, I mean, it's not yeah, my, bad. My, I like it. It's not a bad system. It's yeah, just, yeah. I love Dungeon World, and I, I, I'm, it's yeah. going to be one of the things I want to buy at Gen Con. Uh, I have the PDF already, but I want to get a, a physical copy. Right, right. And uh, I, I'm going to bring Dungeon World with me when I go to Gen Con as well if I want to play some fantasy stuff. And I think I would, if I was playing fantasy, I would probably go with Dungeon World because it's so already written around that idea. Um, right. But my, my main group, when they played it, what they found is that they had storytelling stuff, but then they always kind of had trouble... You know, and I had trouble because I don't I'd never played it before tying their story to the moves that are on the sheets. And mm-hmm. it, it felt clunky mm-hmm. where, you know, that it, it always felt like where we're constantly returning to like these these eight things where the skill system in like fake core didn't quite feel like that because you knew what your skills were and you were the one who picked them out and wrote them down. Right. So, but I, I just, I think, it, I think it's fan. We just live in an awesome time. Like right now is just great with all of these different RPGs that are out. It's and tricky all them- though, right? I mean, like it, it seems like every day I see two or three new Kickstarters for this great new RPG. And it's like, yeah, yeah but I, one, I, I won't, and I can't invest in that much stuff. And mm-hmm. two, how much are we going to see? How much are we seeing? Um, what's going to be, you know, the equivalent of the, of the new D20 glut, you know? How much of well, it? Is, yeah. How much of it's actually going to turn out really good, and how much? How much of it's going right. to? You know. I mean, I, I know that a lot of the ones I've looked at have been really good. Like, there's probably a lot that I haven't looked at that aren't good. But, I mean, I've got six or seven systems now that I'm eager to play, and I've looked at all of them. And they're all really solid. Like, you've got it's time crazy. to learn six or seven systems that well. Well, here's Jeez. so here's the here's the great thing about it. Most of them are pretty simple systems. Yeah. Like all of them have you know after playing Pathfinder, which is about as <laughs> rules rich as you can get. I mean, you know, I think 13th Age is something like 260 pages for the core book, and it's the player book, the Dungeon Master's Guide, the Monster Manual, a campaign source book, and an adventure in one book. I wonder how much of all of this, you know, hey, there's another new system out sort of um, trend is, isn't a, a inadvertent result of, of the law between D and D editions, you know, um, oh, oh. I'm not sure because they they started. I don't know. pretty early. Well, right, I, but but it's been two years since we. Yeah, had... I guess maybe, maybe it's certainly an opportunity. I'll tell yeah, you. After, uh, it... I don't know, and the reason I say that is because similar things have happened before, and I think hmm. what's happened is in the past before one of the reasons the vampire games came on so strong. Um, you know, Vampire the Masquerade and all those, and uh, Mage the Ascension, I think is the other one. Mm-hmm. Uh, all those White Wolf the games. White Wolf games, yeah. Yeah, came out in response to players who loved D&D, but didn't, or, or loved role playing, but didn't really want, but wanted a more story focused game. Mm-hmm. It started there. And so you had this whole branch, then boom. You know, and for me, it was like all, all the goth kids went and did that. Yeah, boom. right. You know, so, theater, and I was already theater, older. Theater I, yeah, I always had my young. Yeah, and I always, already had my first to, born. So I was, I was still, I was already getting to be a parent at that point when that happened. But um, that happened, and then you've got this. Uh, you know, three E comes out, and then there's the big glut of D twenty games, and then people are are looking at this and saying, you know, D twenty is a great mechanic, but I think maybe I can do something better, and or or something that flows better with my game group. And so you've got all of these other independents. And I love the fact that Fate Core has come out. I'm not familiar with it, and so I'm a little... I've only played a couple of games that involve it, and so I'm not super... And I think Fiasco was one, and I think the other one is... Um, 
what else did I play? I can't remember now. But anyway, um, and so I actually want to play more of those games because the idea of being able to use a system like that that's fairly simple in its construction, um, but for multiple types of genres and, and and types of experiences, I think it's a great idea. I'm, no, and I, and I think there's definitely a move. There's, I mean, there's always a a I want a more story focused game sort of movement, right? And that's that's not new. But I also see like uh, I see what is it like Thirteenth Age, mm-hmm. uh, and I see some other games that that, that feel like it's. Let's do a, a lighter rules version of of D and D, you know. Sure. Or let's sure. do D and D from a different angle, and it's the perfect timing because there's no D and D. Yeah. You know, Thirteenth Age. Yeah. That's certainly true. Like Thirteenth Age, the night. I mean, it's actually not. It's it's more rules light than Pathfinder or Four E, but it is definitely more of a traditional D and D style game than like Dungeon World is. Mm-hmm. Right. And what's interesting is they all kind of have that that niche, right? Where like. I'm pretty sure that 13th Age is going to do fine even when D&D Next comes out because they have fundamental different philosophies sure. in, their, in, their, in their design. Absolutely. Um, okay. I think, Randall, the only thing I, I, I take exception to, not really take exception to, but the one thing that I think makes this time period different than previous is the, you know, the Internet and mm-hmm. Kickstarter. Yeah, yeah. The, those are significant advances that are, you know, will uh, certainly change the scope of of how RPGs get developed and at how much um, visibility they get. Certainly, yeah. I think that's another, um, that's another big thing that's happening right now is that a few a few play people have done some kickstarters and gotten some success, and I think that sort of opened the floodgates for everybody else yeah. to say, "Oh, look, this was really successful. Maybe we can do that too." And so I think I do. Wonder if that's not you don't I I think it's a lot of things but I think we've sort of hit the a nexus of ley lines if you will and it's all sort of you know the stars have aligned and it's all hitting sort of at once and that's why you're seeing this big influx. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean what's interesting to me is how many of these are actually from former Wizards of the Coast oh, games. Yeah. You know, <laughs> so you have Monty Cook that just did Numenera and you have yeah. you know Rob Hensu and Jonathan Tweet that just did Thirteenth um, Age and a bunch right. of them are doing Primeval Thule. Yeah, and, and now you've got Primeval Thule as well, and so it's not. But that's like a campaign it's... setting, though, right? Yeah, I know. It's tr- and actually, what's interesting is is it's you, you can you can use it with 4E, Thirteenth Age, or Pathfinder. Yeah, it's a multi. And I picked Thirteenth yeah. Age because yeah. I'm like I actually want more material for Thirteenth Age. I got plenty of material for those other versions. Well, and I yeah. and I got the impression from from some conversations I've had with some of the guys there that once it's out, they'll probably um, support Next as well. I would I would assume. Yeah. So I just I think it's and actually I think the the hardest part is finding the time to play them all. Um, right. But 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 that's why I'm I'm absolutely embracing the the the, the mini campaign. Like I don't plan on ever running another four year campaign. I plan on running three month campaigns, and that way I can try all this stuff. Cool. Uh, but it's but it's a big question. Like my group's like I don't know. We've got you know I got one guy who's just read the thirteenth age book. He's like this is awesome. We got to play this right now. And I'm like well now's our chance to play D and D next and and get our play testing in, and actually influence the next D and D which. These other ones are already out. But on the other hand, you're like, I don't want to miss the opportunity, you know, to play these other games if right. people move or whatever. So I don't it's know. It's, really, it's great. I'm, I'm really happy about all the things I'm seeing. Yeah. Yeah. I Good. think the thing with me is the fact that, like uh, Jeff said, it's it's tough to want for one to be able to afford everything that's coming out when every book is like. Yeah. Bucks. And they're all they're all and, more expensive than normal. You're right. Because and so. Months. And then at the same time, you know, I play like I can play like once a month. Yeah, right. And, and and so like uh trying off unless I'm at a con or something like that, the mm-hmm. opportunity to try new games mm-hmm. is extraordinarily rare. Mm-hmm. So, um I I actually and this is I'm looking into the future, but I'm actually seeing the possibility that when my generation gets into retirement, mm-hmm. yeah, we'll be playing. We'll, we'll be playing role-playing games. Why not? We did it when we were you yeah. know, adults right. and in, like, in college, why not? Retired people now play cards that they play when they were kids. So, right. yeah, yeah, I actually, my, my, Michelle and I talked about our idea to do a geek retirement home. Where oh, heck yeah. I'm know, there. Yeah, let's all, we'll all band together and we'll all just play D&D in our, in our golden years. The only problem is it's not going to be any Medicare and there won't be any uh, <laughs> retirement money left for us after the baby boomers eat it all. So. Yeah, that's true. Unfortunately. <laughs> Politics aside, so darn, um, darn those old guys! <laughs> yeah, yell at the old people. That's um, right. Get off my money. Yeah, but yeah. It just, <laughs> I don't know. Oh, so one th- one thing. Of, the only thing I'd say about price is like you know, Fate Core 
you know, Fate Accelerated Edition and Fate Core both pay what you want. So those well, are both. And, and Fate's not new, is it? Fate's been around. No, Fate's been around a long time, oh, yeah. and it's just a refinement of it. But it's you know, it's it's actually the first time I've seen it is through this. Oh, okay. And and all I know is that when I looked at it, I just I love the idea that you could basically say, okay, everybody, we're in Blade Runner, you know, <laughs> and and you can do an entire adventure on the fly in Blade Runner, you know. Cool. Yeah, well, weren't so like great. Fiasco and Apocalypse World like some of the first two to use the Fate engine? No, uh, not first. Fiasco's nothing like Fate. Yeah, and, and yeah, I thought it used the same kind of dice. I no. swear, I swear, no. Fate's been around for a Maybe long, 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 long. Okay, time. well, I, I stand Fiasco's, corrected there. They're, yeah. they're they're both they're both. I mean, Apocalypse World is the same engine as Dungeon World, actually. I knew first. that. Yeah, I knew that. Okay, yeah, and they use they use D sixes, but no, Fate actually uses these weird plus and minus dice. You can use D sixes. Okay. Um, but it uses plus and minus dice, and uh, Dresden Files uses it. Right. The, okay. That's the big game that uses. That's how Michelle, okay. my wife, found out about it. She played yeah. Dresden. But Dresden, I think, was Dresden's a pretty rich game wrapped on top of Fate, and it can be a lot more straightforward than that. Okay, so Fate uses the fudge dice. Yes. And I think Fiasco yes. uses the fudge dice. No. So, okay. So the dice Fiasco. I mean, when I played Fiasco, it was regular D sixes. Was it D six? Okay, I only played it the one. See, time. I used. I you used need about a thousand D sixes for for Fiasco. Yeah. Need and Fate's, Fate's not. That's not as old as I thought it was. It's been around for ten years though. It's two thousand three was the first published date. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. According to Wikipedia, if you trust Wikipedia. Yeah. But I, take a look at Fate Accelerated Edition because it's one of these like thirty-two page RPG books where you're like, you know, I'm just going to always carry this around in case an RPG game starts. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right. I've taken way more time, but I don't, I don't count know. that. But yeah, yeah, we had some extra time. So. Yeah, in fact, we have five extra minutes, so I've got one other thing I'd, I'd like to bring up if, we, if you're okay with it. Sure. sure. All right, so one of the things I did at my last session, uh, again, inspired by uh, reading Never Unprepared, one of the things, is, you know, it, it suggests that you do brainstorming and then you start to pare things down in the next phase, but part of the process of paring things down is knowing yourself as a dm and what your strengths and weaknesses are but also knowing your players and and what kind of players they are and what they want so i had everybody do a survey and i used the was it dmg or dmg2 dmg2 has uh has the different types of player archetypes yeah yeah yeah. so i had i had i listed all that and, and a summary of each one and had them rank themselves but then also had them rank each other yeah and then i and then i found on i think it was gnome stew and i didn't find it somebody on twitter found it for me and I would totally give them credit if I remembered who it was off the top of my head. Um, found me off of, I think, again, I think it was Gnomes too, uh, a brief summary of different types of DMs in a similar vein, right? And so then I had them rank myself, and I ranked myself. And now I've, I've just sort of published for them, um, you know, what, what each person thought they were, what their highest one was, what their second one was, and what their lowest ones were, um, and then what the group thought they were. Um, and and, it, and it's interesting. I think there's some interesting observations. For the most part, I think the players knew themselves and each other pretty well. I think I must be pretty good at masking myself <laughs> because what I th- consider myself to be was fairly different than what they considered. Um, with with an exception, they they said and I said that my number one was the category called creator, that I like to design settings and stories and then let the, the players enjoy the fruits of my labor is sort of the words they use, right? Um, so I, I said that was my highest and they said that was my highest as well. But my second place was player, that you know part of me would rather be playing because I really like getting into the characters and doing all that kind of stuff, right? Um, but I'm DM because there's other elements of me that want to be the DM or that nobody else is. They they thought the group thought that player was my lowest category. Mm. I put my lowest category as the opponent, the DM who's always working against them. You know, throw them a big, as big of a challenge as, as you can, and and suffer no fools gladly. You know, make life hard for the players and, and give them the challenge to overcome. See if they can do it. Right. I put that as my lowest because I'm not. I don't see myself as, as an adversarial sort of DM. They had that as my third place. <laughs> <laughs> which and I think Mike and I briefly chatted about this the other night, um, which I found interesting because, like, I feel like for the four or five years we've been playing together, they have walked through every encounter I've ever thrown at them. Like in five years as a DM for this group, I've killed maybe three or four PCs total. Like I'm averaging less than one a year. So I feel like how can I be that much of an adversarial DM <laughs> hmm. if I'm 
if if every encounter feels like it's really easy to me. But maybe it's also because you know they run into challenges and I don't help them. You know, right. they they get to positions where they don't quite know what to do or how to solve the puzzle. I just sit back and let them go. You know, and I don't I don't throw them any help or whatever. So now that you know this information, what are you going to do with it? I don't know. Um, I th- I've published it onto our group's forum, and so um, and I just did that tonight, and so I'm I'll be curious to see some conversations that come out of that. I want to see what, what people have to say about uh, different things and whatever. Cause I think there's some, some things that are interesting to talk about both for some of the players and, and myself. Um, you know, like some of the players who, who listed, you know, their number two thing is storyteller. And I don't think anybody else would have ever thought of that for them. Cause they don't tend to be it, like, sometimes it's hard to observe what's going on in somebody's head. Right. So in my head, I'm making all these decisions because it makes total sense for the story in my character. But everybody else just no, you know, other people don't necessarily see that, right? They think, oh, well, you're just making a tactical decision or whatever, right? And I feel like it's the same thing with like me considering myself to be a player type of DM and them not, mm. because in my head, that's what that is. But I don't make that known. That in a lot of times, I would rather be playing, you know. <laughs> so I try to you know gladly take the role that I have, right? And so. Yeah, I, I'm not entirely sure what I'm what I'm doing with it at this point. Um, can I can I offer a counterpoint? Absolutely. So I, I took a, a long so um uh uh what's his name who wrote the chapters? I just mentioned his name in DMG two. Who Robin wrote, Laws? Robin Laws. So uh, Robin Laws wrote a book called Robin's Laws of Game Mastering yes. a while ago, and it talked about the player types as well. Mm-hmm. And he suggested building a spreadsheet where you kind of defined your your player types and everything like mm-hmm. that. And the only I actually found it not so so I had two problems. One is I didn't really know what to do with it once I had that information. Uh-huh. And two is that I felt like myself and all of the players never fit cleanly into any one category anyway. Mm-hmm. And it felt like we were trying to pigeonhole people that are best not pigeonholed. Like we're all individual we don't, you know, you, like, you could probably do a survey of 10,000 people and come back with interesting results, but when you only have five people that at, your table, at your table, knowing where they fit doesn't actually help you as well as just saying, I know that Brian likes this. Right. Sure. Yeah. And You, you know what I can do, though, is I, I think I can look at some general trends. Like, I would have probably assumed that as a group, we were a lot more focused on tactics and combat and, and that kind of stuff mm-hmm. than actually played out. Like, I have mm-hmm. one power gamer... And one one thinker, which is the tactician type of group, right? Right. Um, so the the fact that the combats go really fast, and we only have a few of them in each session, uh, mm-hmm. as we're playing through this D and D next campaign, actually yeah. that, that that makes me feel a little bit okay about that. That they right. would rather do the story elements and the and the puzzles and the challenges and that kind of stuff that aren't, you know, kill something, kill something, kill something. Right. Right. And maybe it's because this group formed in 4th edition, right? And I think if we took this same thing in the middle of the 4th edition campaign, we might have had different results. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, like, yeah. I, think, I think surveying players and being a, being a DM who can, you know, who can be both introspective on their own but also l- listen to feedback and, mm-hmm. and watch body language and kind of recognize what's going on and, and tune things can be really valuable. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I talked I talked to Michelle today on one of our walks about the Pathfinder game. Mm-hmm. And I said, you know, so we ran this ad hoc game. I didn't know where things were going. I kind of knew where Ash was and how that battle was going to go, but I didn't plan anything else. Would you have preferred that it, I had, you know, that it had been a, uh, uh, a single path, that you had to go there? And I would have set up, like, three encounter areas in Dwarven Forge like I used to back in 4E. And, you know, and she said, no, you know, it was fine. It was fine. And then I finally talked and she said, no, I actually would have preferred that. <laughs> right? like, actually, yeah, that was, you know, I understand the lazy DM style, but yeah. uh, it would have been nice to have three really big, cool encounter areas that we could have fought through. Yeah. Sometimes I have a hard time reading my players. And so. Yeah, well, I do, too. I that, that's why do. I like doing yeah. stuff like this every now and then just to, yeah. to yeah. say, OK, I can't tell if you're really digging my story or not because you are not giving me. A lot, <laughs> or, yeah. you know. So, are you tuning out, or are you just sort of sitting back and enjoying the story as it's happening? And and so right. this kind of helps me. Yeah, and sometimes you out. might think like they actually hate the story. I'm like, no, they're totally into it. They're just right. not in, in interacting with it. Right, right. They like it, but it, they're they're just not. They don't need to be part of it. Yeah, but what I'm getting from this is that they're enjoying the story more than combat, and that's not necessarily what I would have expected a, a year or two ago. 
Right, right. So that, that's the initial thought. I, I haven't had a chance to talk it over with anybody. I haven't had a chance to, to really mm-hmm. mull it over. But this is some of my initial reactions, and I'll be curious to see what they say as they look yeah. at it. Yeah, that's neat. So anyway, All right. I did that. And, and if I guess if people want it, I can email them uh, the copy that I put together, and they can adjust it for their own needs. Um, it's, it's one page front and back for five players and a DM. Hmm. So that's that. Uh, and on that note, we should go ahead and start wrapping things up because we are just over an hour. If you want to email us, you can email us at thetomeshow at gmail.com. That's thetomeshow at gmail.com. And I will forward that on to people as necessary. Uh, and that reminds me, I have this niggling suspicion in the back of my head that three, four weeks ago, right before I went to India, somebody emailed with a question and I couldn't put my hands on it with all the stuff going on in between um, recording sessions and figure out where it was and what it was about. So if you were that person, please send me an email and remind me, and we will totally talk about it. I promise we will um, in the next episode. Uh, and if you have something in your group or your campaign or, or a question you have as a DM and you want to email that along, uh, we will discuss those uh, on occasion at the end of our episodes when we have time. So send them along to the Show at gmail.com. I want to thank our sponsor, Noble Knight Games. Check them out at noblenight.com, as well as all of you who use the Tome Show's affiliate links over at thetomeshow.com for Amazon and D&D Classics. And I want to thank my lovely co-hosts, Mike and Randall. Hey. Hey. I want to thank you for running this. It's always great. It's That's a good right. time. It is a good time. Good stuff. And, and we I will see you guys. And say the next time I talk to either one of you, it's going to be at Gen Con. Right? Gen Con. Yeah. The best four days in gaming. All right. Well, with that said, uh, and if anybody else is out there going to Gen Con, feel free to uh, find us and wave and say hi. And tell, yep. us, tell us you love the show. If you don't like the show, don't find us. <laughs> oh, if you don't like the show, I want to know about that, too. Uh, to yes. Then go find Randall, but I don't want to hear yeah, about it. Yeah, you can it. find me. Hate mail goes to me. Yep. No. What is it? Hate mail at table for one? Yeah, I think so. Hate mail at table for dot com? That's bad. I know it is. <laughs> <laughs> that is who hasn't been really doing podcasting for, what, a year or two now? Yeah, really. So, I don't know. We'll continue to send all of our email to him. That's right. All right. <laughs> all right. Say goodbye, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye-bye, everybody.